0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today.
1: Back on college football today. We are in the stretch run. Before we kick it off for the 2017 college football season, the Pac-12 has made the college football playoff two of the past three seasons. They'll be looking for more. Week number one on August 26th, Rockin' Rich Sermonello. on paper. Teams like Washington and USC look to be the frontrunners, but I'm looking at the Washington State Cougars to crash the party.
2: You know, I'm a hard time arguing with you, Joe. I, I sense a little bit of a uh, little bit of bounce in your step. You missed last week. Uh, you you, you kind of got uh, you kind of got recharged. I love it. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy this conference. The fan in me has always liked watching uh, Pac-12, previously Pac-10 football back in the day. Uh, entertaining games late on Saturday night. Tremendous quarterbacks. If you're an NFL scout, you're spending a lot of time. Out West this year, looking at Sam Darnold, watching Josh Rosen, checking out Luke Falk. It's a conference, Jake Browning at Washington. Conference that's loaded with good quarterbacks, entertaining football. I am unabashedly a big Pac-12 fan, so looking forward to this season.
1: Sit back, relax. Rich and I have you covered for the next two hours. We'll be talking about Pac-12 North, Pac-12 South. Special guest today, 10.06 Eastern Time, 7.06 Pacific. We'll be joined by former Washington State safety and an NFL All-Pro safety. Eric Coleman will get Eric's take about the Cougars and Mike Leach. Can they break through and win the division over the Huskies? We'll get his take. And then we'll be joined a little bit later in studio by former Syracuse standout and NFL linebacker, Moulin Greenwood. He's in town, a good friend of the show. We'll have him on. We'll get his take about how the college game has changed from the time he played in the late 90s until what we see, a more wide-open attack in college football. But Rich, when I look at this conference overall, you look at Washington last year, 12-2. and two. A lot of people thought that they could possibly not off Alabama I thought so too and played very well through three quarters before wearing down to the constant pounding of that physical offense and defensive line of the Crimson Tide they now lose three starters in that secondary can they rebound to make it back to the playoff
2: you know you touched on the operative word for me Joe and that is physical when you look up and down the Pac-12 there are certain teams that can show physicality at the line of scrimmage stanford has done it for the better part of the past, uh... past decade And that is a team that's been very successful. Utah with Kyle Whittingham, always physical. They have tended to overachieve in recent years. And Washington now with Chris Peterson, strong on both lines. I think that's the reason why there's not much of a drop-off in Seattle in 2017. I think when you think
1: about this conference overall, you think about a finesse type of conference, but it's starting Mm -hmm. to change. We have coaches like Willie Taggart taking over at Oregon We have Justin Wilcox taking over at Cal. We'll get into that uh, in next segment, but stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from Studio 34, Rockin' Rileys. Keep it where it is.
0: Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a cheat sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to rotoexperts.com and register for the 2017 exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code FREE RADIO at checkout for a very special discount.
1: Back on college football today from Studio 34, Rockin' Riley's. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call. 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at GoForTheTwo. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. We're going to be talking about Washington State. What better way to do that than with a former standout for the Cougars in Pullman in the early 2000s he's live on the fantasy sports celebrity guest line want to welcome in former washington state safety and more importantly nfl safety eric coleman eric how are you today
3: i'm doing great this morning how are you guys doing uh doing
1: well doing well always love getting you on the show Washington State for the last couple of years Eric has struggled out of the gate lost the last couple of years against FCS opponents two years ago against Portland State last year against Eastern Washington but I have a funny hunch that Mike Leach will have the team ready and I'm picking this team to win the North but what is it about the Cougars that really has allowed them to have sluggish
3: starts over the last couple of years? You know, I I wish I had the answer to why they got the fucking stores, but, you know, I, I would probably, if I had to blame it on anything, I would say it was the defense. You know, defensively, it's taken them a long time to, to get that chemistry, to to get that, that gel together back in the secondary. They were very young last year. Uh, this year, they have a lot more experience back in the secondary. So, you know, hopefully they'll put something together that, that can compete in the Pac-12. You know, this is a conference that they put up a lot of points, as you know, and you have to be able to stop the pass. And, uh, the secondary, they brought in some very good recruits, but but more importantly, offensively, you know Luke Falk coming back. Uh, you know a lot of people thought he was going to leave early last year. Uh, he he comes back for another season, and what what helps them what, and, what, and what helps Luke Falk is the fact that they can run the football. And sometimes Mike Leach forgets about the run, but when he when he's dedicated to that run, it sets up their offense for some great things. And Jamal Morrow has done a great job of leading that rushing attack.
2: Hey Eric, Rich Sermonello, that's a great segue for where I was going next, which is we always think about Mike Leach, Washington State, obviously the air raid offense, but talk a little bit about how this team in 2017 has kind of flipped the script. I mean, they have an outstanding offensive line, they can run the ball, and even defensively with Alex Grinch, it's a program that is taking, I think, a big step forward in the past couple of seasons.
3: They have, you know, Alex Grinch has really been a breath of fresh air for that program. You know, bringing in that that aggressive style defense. You know, a, a, along with you know some of the the good defensive line play they've had in the past. You know, unfortunately, they lose their defensive line coach, um, Joe Salavera, who who is a, a great recruiter in in the in the Samoa in the American Samoa area. Um, they lost him to Oregon this year, but they still have a lot of talent on that D line. You know, Hercules Mataafa. Is, is turning into a superstar as, as a defensive end, an outside pass rusher. Uh, you know, in the second day, Jalen Thompson was a true freshman last year, came in and made some great plays, and, and really looking for him to make the, that next step. But offensively, you know, with, with the offensive line they put together, with, with the, the continent, uh, Cody O'Connell. I mean, I don't know if you've seen him, but he's about oh, to make yeah. 8, 360 pounds, okay? and he's the All-American last year. So he's he's leading that offensive line. But the left tackle Andre Dillard is really taking a lot of strides as well. Last year, he stepped in and had a very solid year. So they're able to to run the football. They're able to protect Luke Falk when they have to pass, and and they definitely have the weapons on the outside for Falk to throw the ball to.
1: Eric, two big losses at the wide receiver position of Gabe Marks and River Craycraft. River Craycraft, an excellent slot receiver that had great hands, can go up and catch the football at its highest point, but I want to stick to the running game because it's not just one back. It is a, a, a trio of backs in Wicks, Morrow, and Williams that have combined for 125 receptions last year and 22 rushing touchdowns. I really feel like that trio is the difference for this team from an offensive perspective. Their ability in the Short to intermediate passing game will put a lot of pressure on nickelbacks and uh, linebackers to create one on one matchups. But n- not only that, but their ability to w- really milk the clock aids that defense of front seven. And talk about how the running game does that for a defense.
3: Well, you know, and when you talk to the coaches, they rave about James Williams. I mean, this kid is a, is a great athlete, and they'll tell you that he's probably their best all around back. You know he does a great job of catching the ball in the backfield, also running in between the tackles. But Jamal Moro is, you know, he just has that explosive speed where he can get out on the perimeter, break tackles. He's he's a matchup killer for for linebackers in the, in the open field. And Gerard Wicks is just that power back, you know, who can, who can run the football up the middle. And where where these backs come into play is, you know, a lot of teams were at the beginning of the season were, were rushing three and dropping eight in the coverage against Luke Falk and his air raid offense. And that that handcuffs that offense. And when they're able to run the football effectively and and stay dedicated to the run, it forces the defense to respect it and and bring down an extra defender to stop the run. That leaves one-on-one matchups on the outside. And with this air-raid attack, Luke Falk is going to find that open receiver. And and he has playmakers like Tavares Martin on the outside who can make you pay.
2: Eric, how much fun is it for the residents of the state of Washington? I mean, this has to be sort of a mini golden era of football within the state. Washington, Washington State, two great quarterbacks. How much fun is it for fans of college football within that area of the country?
3: Oh, it's, it's so much fun. You, you know, the competitive juices uh, get flowing again. Uh, the rivalry is thick. You know, it's tough. You know, when one team dominates the rivalry, it's not much of a rivalry. And fans don't have much to get excited for. But now that you have these two, you know, very good programs, I mean, Washington is is as good as it gets on defense. You know, they have a, a great quarterback in Jake Browning. Uh, a lot of weapons over there. So when you get these two teams in there and they go head-to-head in the Apple Cup at the end of the year actually means something, it, it just makes everyone in the state of Washington excited for for all kinds of football
1: Eric, you talk about tradition in terms of the great talent that has come out of Pullman. I mean, I'm going to show my age right now. Guys like Tim Rosenbach and Ruben Mays, Ernest Fields, a great linebacker for the New Orleans Saints, yourself and Jason Gesser. I don't think a lot of people realize about the talent that has come out of that school. But talk to me about the tradition of Washington State. And it's not an easy place to play in terms of if you're going on in there uh, in a road environment.
3: Yeah, I mean Pullman is a, is, a, is a very unique place. Uh, I believe the population is about thirty five thousand, and there's twenty eight thousand of them are students. So you know when you when you when you are a visiting team and you fly in, you fly into Spokane or Lewiston, you drive an hour and a half through wheat fields, and all of a sudden you get to this this brick all these brick buildings, and it's the campus of Washington State. And uh, I think that does great things for our university, for for the the people who the the students of our of our college, you know, it, it makes us a family. And once you become a Cougar, you know, you, you, there's a lot of pride that goes into that, and it really means something. So, you know, the tradition starting back, you know, you know, back in those days where you're talking about with Rosenbaum, and, you know, Drew Bledsoe, and you know, all the great players that came before us. You know, we're really trying to live up to those traditions. You know, th- those players still come around. Uh, they they come watch us work out in the off seasons. You know, it, it's a, it's a really a big family, and I try to stay involved myself, but. You know, back when I was playing, you know, we had you know great players like Lamont Thompson, who was the the Pac twelve all time leader in interceptions. You know, Ryan Long, Outland Trophy winner, Jason Gesser. You know, there, there's a lot of lot of competition, a lot of great players that have come through Pullman, and, and this really gives you an opportunity to compete at the highest level. Focus on your books, focus on football, and, and that's really what's important.
2: Eric, we we, we touched a little bit on the receivers. Obviously, we grow accustomed to someone stepping up in this offense, but Joe mentioned some really talented players uh, no longer on campus. Tavares Martin, Robert Lewis, those are the upperclassmen, but have you heard or seen of any young kids that you think are ready to take the next step uh, this season? Uh, You know what? They they have had a couple of guys who who they're looking forward to step up. Um, You know, they
3: really like – Isaiah Johnson, Mack, you know he's he's a very speedy receiver, great agility, and, and really fits well into this offense. Uh, but but the reality is, if you can, if you can, if you're a good route runner, you have solid hands. It's a great opportunity to mm-hmm. get to go to Washington State because you're going to catch a lot of balls. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to make plays because if you're open, Luke Falk is going to find you. You know he's he's a veteran quarterback. He has a he, they, they say he's an extension of Mike Leach on the field. You know he really does think. Like Mike Leach, as hard as that may be, if, it, if any of you guys have ever talked to Coach Leach, very intelligent guy. But, uh, you know, Rick Falk does a great job with that offense. And, and if, if you're a receiver, you work hard and you can fit into this system, it's going to be a great place.
1: Eric, great information as always. I mean, a big-time player, and when we hear your insights and information about your alma mater, I feel like I could strap it up uh, and just go out there right now and just uh, kick off week number (laughs) one. But uh, we hope you enjoyed it today. We'd love to get you on as the season progresses, but just great information.
3: I I really appreciate you guys having me, and it's a pleasure to be on the show and keep up the great
4: work with the college football. Thanks, Eric.
1: Thanks, Eric. That was former Washington State safety Eric Coleman. He also played for the New York Jets, Atlanta Falcons, and Detroit Tigers. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the Pac-12 North. Joe Lisi, Rich Cermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
5: Many fantasy football players are focusing on their upcoming drafts later this summer. But the smart fantasy owner knows there's another big draft before the one where you pick the players. The first step in building a winner for the 2017 season is to draft the best team of experts for your preseason prep. So make the right selection and pick the squad at RotoExperts.com by purchasing the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. The Roto Experts roster features FSWA inaugural Hall of Famer and former Fantasy Football Writer of the Year Scott Engel, nationally acclaimed top ranker Jake Sealy, 2015 and 16 FSWA award winners, Bobby McMahon and Brandon Murchison, and many more analysis with impressive stats. They bring you a draft package bursting with all pro analysis and in-season coverage that will guide you to title glory. So pick the team to help you build the right team. Make your first important selection of the 2017 season now and get the exclusive Edge fantasy football package from rotoexperts.com. Be sure to enter promo code FREERADIO at checkout for your discount. Back on College Football Today, Studio
1: 34, Joe Lisi, Rich Cermonello. We kicked it off with Eric Coleman talking about Washington State. Rich, this is my pick to win the Pac-12 North now. Last couple of years, they've struggled right out of the gate. That, for me, has really derailed any type of momentum. They open up against Montana State this year, week number one. I think they throttle them. I cannot see Washington State losing for a third straight year against an FCS opponent.
2: Yeah, you asked a good question of Eric, and he didn't have an answer. I don't have an answer. I'm not sure why this team is so slow out of the gate, considering they have a talent superiority over those FCS opponents. Uh, In terms of schedule, Joe, first five games will all be in Pullman. I I have thought about it throughout the offseason. I'm not completely sold on USC as a playoff contender. I know we'll get into that in a bit, but September 29th, Washington State at home Friday night, zany atmosphere on the Palouse. I think that's a game that Washington State can beat USC and really make a statement to move into the top 10. Now, I don't know if they have the depth, especially defensively, to go wire to wire and win the North, win a very tough North, but I'm with you. I, I think this team is being overlooked. I think they're a legit Top 15 team with that offense, improving defense. And again, I can't stress it enough. For people who are unfamiliar with Cody O'Connell and that offensive line, that is a dominant unit. So this is not just a finesse team any longer.
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly about that USC game. I picked USC to lose two games throughout the year, and, mm. and I think at Washington State is one. The other one is at Colorado. We'll get into that in in the second hour of the show about the Pac-12 South, mm-hmm. but I want to keep it quickly with Washington State and say, last year they averaged 120 rushing yards per game, and a lot of people that don't understand, that's a very high number for a Mike Leach offense. I mean, over over the course of his tenure at, in his days at Texas Tech and even at Washington State, he was in the area of around 40 rushing yards per game. His uh, Two years yeah. ago, they got it up to around 80 and it showed progression. What that allows Washington State to do is that when they have a lead, they can control the time of possession which allows them to milk the clock. They get consecutive first downs, third down conversions, and more importantly, it rests that defense for Alex Grinch and that's why you've seen progression, because without that running game, they become a one-dimensional offense, and really, defenses can key in. Now, with the offensive balance, it keeps opposing defenses guessing, and that's why you're seeing the success. Now, they need to start fast. If they lose this game against Montana State, I have no... I don't know what to say, because three straight years is unacceptable, but they seem to kick-start it after that loss. So, if they can start fast, this is my pick to knock off Washington as well in the Apple Cup.
2: Yeah, I I mean, everything points toward this being a big breakout season for Mike Leach. I was shocked that Luke Falk came back. I applauded that decision, not just for college fans, but just for his development, to, to spend one more season in that system, learning how to be a complete quarterback. I think it's great for Luke Falk, certainly great for Washington State fans. And just to touch quickly on what you mentioned about the running game, We talked about three quality backs. They take advantage of those wide splits in the offensive system that Mike Leach has. And if you have even a hint of balance, that is going to help Luke Falk in that passing game. So the fact that they could run for more than 100 yards per game, I I agree with you totally. That is a big development for that offense, big development for that defense. And Washington State, I, I mean, it's not on par with Colorado last year, Joe, because obviously Colorado, none of us saw coming. But if you're looking for a sleeper out of the Pac-12, I'm with you in terms of Washington State.
1: Now, after USC, they go at Oregon, at California, Colorado, at Arizona, Stanford at home, at Utah. They get a bye week and then face Washington on the road in Seattle. So we'll see how the Cougars fare in 2017. But Rich and I are very high on this team. Let's look at the Huskies and and Chris Peterson 12 and 2 overall uh, they lose John Ross on the outside. I think that's a huge loss to that offense in terms of double teams. I expect Dante Pettis to be double teamed throughout the 2017 season, but the loss is rich on the defensive side of the ball. Three starters in that secondary, Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, and King all gone. This was a team that was plus 18 in turnover margin, tied for tops in FBS against uh, with Western Michigan. Uh, I think that's a very difficult order to to replace all three starters. Soft schedule, out of conference, but I'm picking this team at ten and two for 2017.
2: Yeah, I, I remain high on Washington, Joe. I, I I talked about it earlier. You have the now veteran quarterback in Jake Browning. Uh, John Ross obviously missed not just offense but special teams as well. I think they'll be okay offensively though because. The line is among the best in the Pac-12. You have Miles Gaskin to balance out the offense in the running game. Dante Pettis did have 15 touchdown catches last year, albeit John Ross took a lot of heat away, but... You know the defense really comes down to cornerback for me for Washington because they'll be very strong in the front seven again. Vita Vea in the middle of that defensive line. Azeem Victor is back at linebacker. He was out for the tail end of last season, including that playoff game against Alabama. And I think the safeties the safeties are going to surprise you. Jojo McIntosh, Taylor Rapp, last year's Pac-12 Rookie of the Year. They'll be fine at safety, but I think Washington is all about the cornerbacks if. They're vulnerable against the pass. They could lose those two games you mentioned. If those young kids step up... I still think this is the team to beat not just in the North, but in in the entire Pac-12.
1: Well, here's the thing about Washington when you look at both of their losses last year against USC at home and Alabama. Third down conversions were a big part of why the offense has struggled. The, uh, again, sacks as well. They did not hold up against physical, athletic, defensive fronts and USC and Alabama both had that last season and they struggled. So now you look at their out-of-conference schedule to start 2017. Yeah. They play Fresno State and Rutgers those teams were 3 and 21 overall you look now they don't play USC during the regular season which is an added benefit for Chris Peterson but you look at this schedule in 2017 they open at Rutgers Montana Fresno State at Colorado at Oregon State California at Arizona State Rich I mean that's a light schedule for a team that made the playoffs oh, yeah. last year uh, I mean, again, I see them being 10-2 and two overall. It does, for me, though, come down to the Apple Cup with Washington State. And again, I'm not sold on Jake Browning in a big spot. I know Luke Falk hasn't showed a lot either in big games, but he's a senior quarterback. Again, when I see Jake Browning under pressure, in terms of his reads and progressions, he throws the ball quickly into coverage and hasn't shown a ton of progression against man-to-man defenses playing bump and run coverage against his wide receivers.
2: I, I think I, I would take an opposite opposite tacto. I, I, this is still a quarterback that's only two years removed from high school. He enters his true junior season uh, with Washington, so he's still developing. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, although this won't have an impact necessarily on his reads and progressions. But he did play with a shoulder injury last year, had a prolific record-breaking season for the program, had that uh, shoulder repaired in the offseason. So I think you'll see a little older, a little wiser, and a little healthier Jake Browning. So I I think he'll continue to develop into one of the better quarterbacks in the country. You're right, he's got to step up against big opponents, but I look at that schedule as well. I don't see a lot of Big opponents uh, on the schedule until you get to November, really. Uh, Oregon, November 4th at Stanford will be very tough against a dynamic uh, secondary at Stanford. Uh, Utah, and then closing with Washington State. So I think he's going to have really two thirds of the season uh, to continue his maturation.
1: I think when you look at Washington overall, they're bringing the physicality back to the days of the, uh, in terms of the Don James's type uh, of defenses, mm-hmm. and even Jim Lambright back in the day. I mean, you're seeing a physical, blue collar mentality on the defensive side of the ball, which really forced turnovers last year and and gave their offense field position to score points. I think when you Look at this schedule overall, which teams can challenge Washington? That you mentioned, I say Utah here because they are a blue-collar team with physicality on the offense and defensive lines. I look at Stanford last year. They were abused in Seattle with Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they lost that ball game 44-6 on a Thursday night, Rich. I mean, when you look at this matchup with Washington, I mean, look at Washington's running backs of Gaskin and Coleman. That's a dynamic duo that can pound the football between the tackles. They could also put pressure on Stanford's defense on the perimeter.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's no question about it. I, I, I think one player we haven't touched on, which I'd like to uh, mention, is Chico McClatcher. Played as a, a young receiver last year, was just a sophomore out of the slot, but he's so slippery. Uh, such a jackrabbit to, to complement Dante Pettis on the outside and his game-breaking ability. So Chico McClatcher, he's not John Ross, I'm not trying to make that comparison, But he is a similar type of a player from the standpoint that he could take a short hitch and go a long way. So that's one of the offensive weapons that I think will really take a step forward this fall.
1: You're talking about John Ross that led the team with 81 receptions, 1,150 yards, 17 touchdowns. I mean, between him and Pettis, 32 receiving touchdowns. I mean, that's unbelievable when you think about the type of offensive output that we've seen in college football, football to have two guys put up 32 total receiving touchdowns is a testament to what chris peterson has brought to seattle in terms of offensive balance
2: that's exactly where i was going because what you're seeing now is not just more physicality out of washington credit to chris peterson but just the overall talent level you know it's not a matter of in the past hey we had a seven and six season at washington now we're back to five and seven there's no more rebuilding he has the talent to really put that into the pipeline year after year and for this to be a contender of the Pac-12.
1: Keep it where it is. When Rich and I come back, we'll be talking Washington. We'll also be talking some Oregon. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
2: Hey everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzitola, best-selling author of the Fantasy Black Book series, and right now you can get the 2017 Fantasy Football
1: Black Book on Amazon as we speak. What are you waiting for? You can get it for ebook for your Kindle or for
2: paperback. And it's not just me this year. No, I brought in some friends. I got Jake Seely, I got Sammy Reed, I got Gary Davenport. I got championships, and they're waiting for you. Find out
1: why the Fantasy Black Book is number one best-selling in fantasy sports for the 10th straight time. You know why? Because once you go Black Book, you never go back. Back on College Football Today, we're talking Pac-12 North. We left off with Washington and Chris Peterson Rich, I, I think this team from a schedule perspective doesn't finish any less than 10-2 and two overall. I think they do have a couple of tough games. One of them, the Apple Cup. I think the other one could be Utah. But I, I think this team is on the outside looking in of the Pac-12 championship and more importantly of a college football playoff appearance. It's going to hinge on Jake Browning, though. Uh, it, can he make plays throughout the season, especially when his playmakers aren't there? Like John Ross, and I think that when you look at the Alabama game, when they took away his weapons, he couldn't make plays. And I think that's where Washington's season hinges, even though we supposedly had a, a shoulder surgery. We didn't see that type of play calling in terms of an aggressive approach against that Alabama Crimson Tide defense.
2: I disagree. I I just don't think there's anyone on that schedule that'll be, obviously nobody's Alabama defensively or or Nick Saban, so I'm not suggesting that, but I think playing in the Pac-12 with that weak non-conference schedule, I I think Washington rolls offensively. Again, this is more than Jake Browning, this was more than John Ross, Miles Gaskin, LaVon Coleman in the backfield. You have good balance, and I really like that offensive line. That was the problem during the lean years for Washington. They just couldn't get it together in terms of offensive line, gave up a ton of sacks. Now they have three big bodies returning, led by Trey Adams, all Pac-12 first-teamers. So I think they're close to complete. And again, McClatcher, Dante Pettis, look for a young kid like Ty Jones in his first season to contribute uh, on the outside. I think offense is fine. My concern is just that back end of the defense. Will they be vulnerable against the past when they're facing quarterbacks like Josh Rosen, like Luke Falk? I think Washington is fine. To me, still the team to beat. I'm banking on them repeating in 2017. So shows. do
1: you think they go 11-1 or possibly 12? and all I be- do. Okay, because here's, here's two yep. games I look at overall. I look at that game at Colorado as possibly being mm-hmm. a trap game. And then when you look at the back end of their schedule, Rich, obviously I don't think we're high on UCLA being a dominant team, even though Josh Rosen does Agreed. come back. But then they have a rivalry game. Even though they dominated Oregon, it's still a rivalry game at home. They mm-hmm. follow that up with a road game at Stanford, then another physical game at home against Utah, And then Washington State in consecutive weeks. And for me, that's what I look at. I don't know where, I I know for me, I'm picking Washington State as a loss, but there could possibly Mm -hmm. be a Stanford and a Utah loss in there as well because of the schedule. And that's why I'm not sold on Washington overall winning the division.
2: Yeah. No, I I understand. I I think where we disagree, my loss is going to be at Stanford. I think that kind of a physical opponent, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, I'm sure, but I love the secondary of Stanford. That could be the game that really gives problems to Jake Browning. But I'm going to stick with Washington in the Apple Cup. They have dominated Washington State over the years. I'm with you. I really like the Cougars. I think they'll be a big surprise this year. But that game is also in Seattle, and and Washington has been so good under Chris Peterson at home. I look at that schedule, Joe, I don't see a lot of landmines outside of Husky Stadium. The one that really sticks out for me, and I'm, I'm eager to talk about Colorado as well, because I think folks are expecting a major drop-off. I don't see it. It sounds like you tend to agree. But the one for me is November 10th. At Stanford on the farm. That's the loss for me. That's the one red-letter moment that I circle and say that's that could be a very tough matchup for the Huskies. Well,
1: let's stay there with Stanford and uh, their team overall. They lose Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey. That was accounted for 59% of the rushing production in terms of yardage and 65% of the touchdown rushing production last year. Gives way to Bryce Love. But this was an offense in 2016 that only had two games in which they passed for over 200 yards. One of them came in the blowout loss at home to Washington State. The other did come in the victory to Oregon. David Shaw and the crew, a lot of people picking this team. I don't see it. I'm picking them 7-5 overall, not sold at the quarterback position. They lose Solomon Thomas, their defensive end that led that team in sacks. I think this team could be exploited from a secondary perspective. You said they're hot; you're high on them. I think mm-hmm. you could challenge them vertically, and I think teams like Washington State will really exploit that secondary because of their speed.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would take the over at seven and five. I see this as more of an eight or even nine win team. You touched on quarterback; that is and continues to be my big concern. Uh, You know, Keller Christ is their quarterback, but Keller Christ is coming off a serious knee injury in the uh, bowl game late season, so he may not be available for the opener. Uh, I like Bryce Love. He's not Christian McCaffrey, but I think he'll have a breakout season as the feature back. Defensively, I always like this team. I like the physicality. Ah, uh, David Shaw and his staff—a a staff that has continuity. Joe, they do a great job of coaching up players that continue to get better. They continue to recruit really well. Had another uh, good signing day, especially at the offensive line position. But this seems like such a one-dimensional offense. I, I just—I have such low expectations in terms of the passing game. Uh, I miss the days when Andrew Luck was there. If you had a top-flight quarterback. This is a team that I think could seriously contend for the Pac-12 championship, but defenses know they they they're going to be able to stack the line to stop Bryce Love. That makes this team sort of mediocre offensively. So I have them in the 8 to nine-win range and vulnerable looking behind their shoulder to teams like Oregon and Washington State. I
1: agree with that because if they fall behind, they are not explosive enough to play score mm-hmm. for score with teams. And here's the problem. They do have 16 starters coming back, eight on offense, eight on defense. But you look at the last couple of years now. In 2015, they allowed 228 passing yards per game. Last year, it was 224. But their schedule, Rich, is very very difficult for 2017, they start off with Rice that they dominated last year. They then have a bye week and play at USC and then play San Diego State, which is a very physical team with Rocky Long. Even though they lose Danelle Pumphrey, they still have Rashad Penny there and a physical blue-collar offense and defense alignment mentality that could wear down Stanford as they move through Pac 12 play. They then play UCLA, Arizona State, and here's what I look at at Utah, another physical team. Mm-hmm. Oregon, they then get a bye weekend. Look at this October, November schedule to end the year. At Oregon State, at Washington State, Washington, California, Notre Dame without a bye week, and that's where I see a lot of problems for this team. I mean, granted, I'm not high on Notre Dame this year, but they lost that game 17-10 to last year. It's a rivalry game for the most part, and expect them to be in that matchup. I, I, I disagree with that. I think they're at 7-5, but again, you mentioned it, it does hinge on the quarterback position because if they do get injuries to the quarterback, this team could possibly uh, slip to 500.
2: I think what's interesting to me, too, and, and I'm a big fan of Stanford, big fan of David Shaw. Uh, again, the talent that they're bringing to the farm has uh, continued to be uh, well above average. Going back to the Jim Harbaugh days and then Harbaugh gives the baton to Shaw, things have gone really well. What What's curious to me is if you look at signing day, Joe, year after year, they're signing what appears to be blue chip quarterbacks. Uh KJ Costello is there, uh, Christ, Ryan Burns. It goes on and on, but the development has been just okay. You know, they haven't taken those quarterbacks and necessarily, outside of Andrew Luck, turned them into bona fide Sunday next level type quarterbacks. That inability to develop top flight passers is really putting a cap on the potential of this program. And again, they'll dominate you at the line of scrimmage particularly offensively this year. They'll run the ball. They'll they'll give up maybe 20 points a game. I love the secondary. Two players in particular, Quentin Meeks and Justin Reed, they both look like they're going to be playing in the NFL. But if you don't have balance on offense in this day and age, there's a cap on your potential. So I, I agree that they're not going to win the Pac-12 North, but I still see this as an 8% possibly, if Crist comes back healthy, maybe a 9-3 and three team.
1: We'll see how it plays out. That'll be the hinge game uh, for Stanford overall. I mean, how do they fare against USC? They've dominated them in recent years, mm-hmm. but now they go to the Coliseum and you know Sam Darnold and that offense is going to challenge that Stanford uh, offense to match them score for score, and that's where you want to see that game play out because if, if USC can jump up early, it could be lights out for the Cardinal in that matchup. we Will change Gears will stick now with Oregon new head coach Willie Taggart. Rich, this team overall, I mean, I'm not sold on this being a 360-degree turnaround. A lot of people expect Oregon to get back to eight wins this year. I do not see it. They allowed 41 points per game, their most since prior to 2008. They also allowed 246 rushing yards per game and 38 rushing touchdowns, Rich. 3.1 touchdowns per game on the ground to opposing offenses.
2: They have a lot
1: of work to do on the offense and defense line.
2: They do, but a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, It's going to be a transition year to Willie Taggart. I think the whole philosophy is going to change. This is going to be a much more assertive, less flashy type of a team. They'll still score points, but but Willie Taggart... Jim Levitt, getting Jim Levitt, the defensive coordinator from Colorado who did such a great job in Boulder, getting him to Eugene to me was a stroke of genius for Willie Taggart. I, I don't expect an overnight change. But I do expect to see a little more physicality out of that defense. And two players offensively, Royce Freeman, the running back, Terrell Crosby, the left tackle. Those guys missed most of last season. Now they're back. I think there's a chance for this team to surprise during the season.
1: We'll see what happens. We'll keep it where it is with Oregon. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
0: Talking a little Oregon
1: Duck football with new head coach Willie Taggart. Rich? Willie Taggart's done a fantastic job, and I'm so happy that South Florida allowed him to get his recruits there. He came from Western Kentucky with a blue-collar mentality that loved to run the football back at Western Kentucky with New York Giant running back uh, Bobby Rainey. And then now, last year, he had Quentin Flowers. He had Marlon Mack. You mentioned Royce Freeman that comes back from an ACL injury. I'm not so sure he's going to come back to 2016 form right away. They do have Tony Brooks James there as well, that averaged around seven yards per carry. Justin Herbert's a guy that I like. It, the only problem, I think, is he's not a mobile quarterback, and that's what uh, uh, Willie Taggart wanted there with Quentin Flowers. How will that play into Oregon's offense in 2017?
2: Well, he, Herbert is not a dual threat, Joe, but he is someone, despite his size, he's six six. he's a big, long athlete, he can make plays with his feet. I mean, if the pocket breaks down, he can pick up first downs by scrambling. So he's not a stationary target. They do have depth in the backfield. Uh, they lose Darren Carrington, the wide receiver, was going to be their top target. He now transfers to Utah after his latest off-field problems. But what I like also offensively is they want to have an identity. They have, want, want to have more of a physical identity. Well, that offensive line, which was so young and had the injury to their best lineman, Terrell Crosby, they're now a year older. So they have a lot of familiar faces, more depth, more experience. I think the offense will be a, have a little better balance they've had in the past. And quickly on the defensive side, in that effort to be more physical at the line of scrimmage, and listen... Oregon has been fun. Oregon was a blast. Oregon went to a couple of national uh, championship games, had those appearances. But if you want to get over the top and get to where Washington was last year, they have to become more physical. So getting Scott Pagano from Clemson, interior defensive lineman, that's the kind of player that I think could have an instant impact on Willie Taggart's first team.
1: It might, but I agree. I'll say this about the offensive line. With former offensive coordinator Scott Frost and now is the head coach at UCF, they like to run sideline to sideline. They were a finesse type of offensive line that utilized a lot of zone blocking schemes. Even though Willie Taggart had a wide open offense at South Florida, they were big and physical at the point of attack between the tackles. And I think that's the difference for this offense overall. Yeah, they have great playmakers, but his philosophy in terms of a a blue-collar mentality is going to take a couple of years to get his type Mm -hmm. of guys in there. And that's why I think this team is right in the area, again, of 4-8 and overall. I think on the defensive side of the ball, at the point of attack, Rich, when you're allowing running backs to get to the second and third levels the linebackers, the secondary. You're not doing your job in terms of forcing double teams because the linebackers should be coming up in running lanes and filling those gaps. And that's what Oregon did not do from a defensive mentality. And you look at their front seven. I think they're undersized. Even though they're in the Pac-12, I don't see this team making strides. I picked them right in the area four and eight. I know a lot of people picked them to have eight wins this year because of
2: 17 starters. I just don't see it. You bring up an excellent point, which I'd like to echo, which is it's going to take time. I agree with you, Joe. This is a this is a philosophical transition. You go from Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich, to now Willie Taggart. They're thinking very differently. So the players that Willie Taggart inherits may not completely fit the philosophy that he wants to have. So, yeah, this is definitely a look towards 2018-2019, but... As a building block, I think they get better as the season progresses, Joe. I think they at least get to a postseason game. I see this as a 7-5 and five team that lays the foundation for further improvement next year. Wow, if they get to 7-5, and five, that would be a fantastic
1: job by Willie Taggart, I can tell you this, because I think he is the right guy for the job, but I think it's going to take a couple of years for him to build those blocks of foundation. But we'll see how it plays out. When we come back, we'll be talking some Cal, Oregon, State, keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today.
1: Our number two of college football today, we're talking Pac-12 North, Pac-12 South. We left off with Willie Taggart and Oregon, rocking Rich Sermonello. I'm down on the Ducks this year, four and eight overall. I picked them. You're going a little bit higher, thinking they can become bowl eligible. But I think we're both in agreement that Willie Taggart is the guy to turn
2: around this program. Totally agree. Tremendous recruiter. I know people, you know, they look at Willie Taggart to Oregon, Matt Rule to Baylor. Geographically, it's not a great fit, and I understand that. But coaches are smart enough to surround themselves with assistants who know territories. Taggart hired coaches who can recruit in the state of California, the lifeblood for a program like Oregon. Again, he lands Jim Levitt to be his defensive coordinator. This is a good building block year. I think the talent last year was much better than the record. They sort of quit on Mark Helfrich. Helfrich was on the hot seat. They had some major injuries. I'm not suggesting it's back to the old days, but I think they get to a bowl game. It'll be a big start. And and listen, start with Royce Freeman. I think he's one of the top backs in the country with him healthy, running behind a more veteran offensive line. I think that will help support a defense which clearly is going to be the uh, biggest stumbling block to success this year.
1: Mixed reviews from both of us on Oregon, but we love Willie Taggart in Eugene. We'll see how it plays out in 2017. But you're seeing now, I want to say, a change of approach by the schools in the Pac-12. Guys like Willie Taggart, another guy like Justin Wilcox, who takes over at Cal for former head coach Sonny Dykes, a blue-collar mentality, much in the the mold of a Clay Helton at U, uh, USC. Rich, and now is the Pac-12 getting uh, a little nervous because of you know the the stereotypical mindset that this is a finesse type of conference. So these hires now uh, go the other way against that mindset because both of these coaches, Taggart and Justin Wilcox, defensive minded coaches as well with that blue collar mentality on the offense and defensive lines.
2: Joe, you bring up an excellent point. That that is a great point. If you look at the recent hires, even going back a few years, it's almost as if they're trying to model what Jim Harbaugh and and David Shaw have been able to do at Stanford, Chris Peterson, Willie Taggart, uh, Gary Anderson at Oregon State, Justin Wilcox at Cal. Uh, Mike McIntyre at Colorado these are less of the finesse more of the physical complete team type of a mindset so I think that's an excellent point on your part Cal hired a tremendous coach Justin Wilcox he inherits a dearth of talent they're not ready right now I think this is still a couple of year building project they don't have a quarterback this year uh, defensively, they'll be challenged. It's going to take time, but that was a good hire by the uh, the Golden Bears.
1: Yeah, I think that's what you're seeing in the conference overall. Under the radar, I want to say B-rated coaches in terms of, if you're looking at actors, A-list, B-list, you have guys like Harbaugh, you have guys like Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney, those uh, front-line head coaches. But this conference overall, getting back to basics. When we come back, we'll give our predictions for Oregon State and Cal, and then we'll move to the south, US C, UCLA, and Colorado on tap. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from Studio Thirty Four Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
4: Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount.
1: Back on College Football Today, wrapping up the Pac-12 North. Joe Lisi, Rich sermonello live from Rockin' Riley's Studio 34. Rich, when I look at Cal overall, defensively, they are challenged. They allow 276 rushing yards per game last year. Justin Wilcox will try and fix that, but do not expect the same explosive offense under Sonny Dykes. They lose Davis Webb, and they lose leading receiver Chad Hansen, that have both moved on to the NFL. I think this team has to run the football to keep games close. They do have big big play wide receivers in Robertson and Stovall, but I love Trey Watson at the running back position. That being said, again, like Willie Taggart, this is a work in progress. I have Cal right. The area of three or four wins for 2017.
2: Yeah, one thing I, I Demetrius Robertson, if you, if you want to look at a player that in a few years will be on your fantasy team, the wide receiver from Cal, he is a budding superstar. He's the one player that the Bears can really promote for all Pac 12, possibly even some individual national awards. He's that good. One thing I'd like to point out, I think you and I are both high on Justin Wilcox. I think he also did a good job in terms of his coordinators. Went into the FCS to pull out Bo Baldwin to be his offensive coordinator. And defensive coordinator is Tim DeRuiter, the former head coach at Fresno State. was not a successful head coach, but I think he's more comfortable just taking over a defense. So he has a lot of veteran leadership at the coordinator position. Cal is going to be fine. It's a program that's not impatient. They're going to give a young Justin Wilcox some time. So I'm with you right at 3-9. and nine. It'll be a challenging season. If you're a Bear fan, what you hope for is some of these young kids start to develop and by November, your team is more competitive than it was in September. Well, Go to Oregon State
1: because this, for me, is the team that I think you could surprise some people in the Pac-12 this year, last year they were four and eight. They beat Oregon for the first time since 2007. This was a team that lost eight ball games by 15 points per game, but they played some of the better teams like Utah, very very close to the vest last year. I love Ryan Now, their running back. I love Garrettson at the quarterback position, and I love what Gary Anderson has brought from a physicality on the offense and defense lines. One player in particular for me that really uh, dictates whether this team can become bowl eligible is wide receiver Seth Collins, the former quarterback. He missed November due to an illness. If he can return in September, this offense could have a depth, a a bevy of depth at the wide receiver position that will allow them to stretch teams vertically. And I'm picking them at six and six this year, Rich. Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, I I have the same thing, 6-6, and which would be a big deal. This program has not bowled in the last four years. They've really gone into a ditch over the past couple of seasons. But now that you're entering year three of Gary Anderson, his systems are in place, he's getting more of his kind of talent. Look at how they finished last year. I, I think this is a young program that can really feed off of late November. They blow out Arizona. And then they beat Oregon in the Civil War. Big deal for that program. So they carry some momentum into this season. I'm with you on Ryan Nall. I see a young Mike Allstad, big physical runner that when he gets out into the open field, he's hard to track down. He's an exciting player to watch. But health has been an issue for him, Joe. So they really need him to be healthy for all 12 regular season games and then hopefully a bowl game for me it comes down to the quarterback position they got a junior college transfer by the name of jake luton he's a six seven quarterback kind of reminds me of what mike riley used to like if you remember riley always loved those big tall statuesque quarterbacks like sean Mannion, like Derek anderson If Jake Luton can be Pac-12 ready and give a little more of a boost to that passing game, this is a dangerous Oregon State team. So we're in agreement again. I think this is a better-than-the-record type of a team in 2017. And
1: he also has McMarion there who, who really came on yeah. as a sophomore. And the reason why I said Garrettson yep. is because I feel like this team overall mirrors Wisconsin from last year a, uh, a little bit with Alex Hornibrook and Bart Houston. If McMarion does win the job, he's only uh, going to be a junior. If he struggles, then Gary Anderson can go to Garrettson that he coached at Utah State. So this is, I, I think, a win-win for everybody. There's depth at the quarterback position. Position experience there so that can take them to the next level and possibly breaking through for six wins so we'll see how that plays out but let's really kick it over to the Pac-12 South we'll look at Clay Helton we'll look at Sam Darnold 10-3 last year they ended their season with a 52-49 come from behind, win over Penn State in the Rose Bowl, a game for the ages. This is a team that ended with a nine-game winning streak. Now the expectations are on on this team to really break through to the college football playoff. I picked them to win the division, go to the Pac-12 championship game, Rich, but they're on the outside looking in when December and January hits.
2: Yeah, I I think they're the team to beat in a relatively weak Pac-12 South. Uh, I'm excited about Sam Darnold. I think he's the real deal. Uh, Brought a boost to that USC program that nobody expected right up until that Rose Bowl victory. So there's a lot of excitement at the Coliseum. But I also see some of the weaknesses. I, I don't love the offensive line. I don't love the defensive line. And I know this is unfair because it's apples and oranges, but... Historically, the last three times that USC began a season ranked in the top 10, which they will this year, they finished unranked, unranked and 22nd nationally. So USC lately has had a difficult time handling prosperity in the preseason. So they're a very good program. But I see a couple of losses as well. I I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to lose to Washington in the Pac-12 championship game.
1: Wow. Well, I do have them losing in the Pac-12 championship game, but it's not to Washington. It is to Luke Falk and the Washington State Cougars. I will say this about USC overall. It wasn't just the offense. It was the defense led by their linebacker, Cameron Smith, that really came on last year for that nine-game winning streak. When you look at the offensive uh, losses that they have from last year, Juju Smith-Schuster is gone. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the wide receiver core, a young wide receiver core, to aid Sam Darnold. But it, Ronald Jones, to me, is the, the factor for the offense that can add offensive balance. They had six games last year where they rushed for over 200 yards per game. They were 5-1 and one in those games, Rich, and won those games by 24 points per game. They open up against Western Michigan, week number one. I think they they start fast, and I think they dominate Stanford in that matchup from a speed perspective. Defensively is where I like this team though to get back t- to get to the Pac-12 championship game with Cameron Smith in that defensive front seven. Rich, they held six opponents under 100 yards rushing, and they won those games by 20 point. Four points per game the defense doesn't get enough credit for what they did last year
2: yeah and a lot of that credit goes to Clancy Pendergast Clay Helton brings him back to be his defensive coordinator Pendergast in his first go-round at USC was really proficient at getting players off the edge to attack the quarterback he's got a couple of good edge rushers to go along with Cameron Smith on the inside, Porter Justin leads the way, Uchenna Nwosu will be on the opposite side, so Pendergast really orchestrates a defense that can create pressure and create turnovers. My concern, Joe, is not so much the speed on the outside. USC always has that. Iman Marshall at cornerback will be outstanding. But it's the interior of that defense. They've been counting on Kenny Bigelow at nose tackle for the past couple of seasons. He has not been able to stay healthy. So I I think the Trojans are going to be vulnerable against physical teams that are strong at the point of attack, that can run the ball a la Stanford in week two. They have a tough schedule. How about Texas in week three? I mean, that is a huge game for Tom Herman. Not saying that USC will necessarily lose it in the Coliseum, but they have a very difficult schedule from start to finish. And I just I'm not sure. Clay Helton did a great job last year at one and three to rally the troops, but can he get this team? to the playoffs when the expectations are that they get to the playoffs, that's where I have some uh, uncertainty at this point.
1: I agree with that point wholeheartedly. That Texas game is a rematch of the 2006 BCS Championship with Vince Young, where uh, that dynamic performance that propelled the Longhorns and Mack Brown to the national championship victory over Pete Carroll. So that's not an easy game by any, any stretch. And then those two road games that I mentioned at Colorado, at Washington State, will really dictate whether this team team does make a college football playoff appearance. Rich and I both are, are in agreement. Uh, you're picking them to lose to Washington so you do not have them in the playoff. I don't either. I have them at 10 and 3 yeah. after the Pac-12 loss. Is that where you have them to end the season?
2: I do. I have them 10 and 2 in the regular season, losing to Washington, so 10 and 3, which would be a disappointment. I this, this is going to be a top 5 team. Uh, in the preseason, I could see them finishing the season in the top 25, but maybe somewhere around... 18, 21, somewhere in that area, which would not be a successful year for Clay Helton and the Trojans, especially if it's Sam Darnold's last season.
1: So Rich and I are both down on USC overall, winning the division but not getting to the playoff. Keep it where it is. When we come back, we'll go cross town. We'll talk UCLA Bruins. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
4: Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. And it's power-packed with so much more, including fully sortable player projections and a custom cheat sheet generator. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the exclusive edge fantasy football package now at rotoexperts.com. Enter free radio and check out for your special discount.
1: Back on college football today, we're breaking down Pac-12 South. We talked USC. We're going to switch gears and talk about Jim Moore Jr. and the UCLA Bruins Disappointing season last year, 4-8 and eight overall, Rich, with Josh Rosen in the lineup last year. They were 3-3 three and three after the first six games. They lose McKinley, they lose VanderDose on the defensive side of the ball. They allowed six opponents to rush for over 195 yards on the ground, but the offense, Rich is where they have concerns. This team only averaged 84 rushing yards per game last year, one of the worst rushing offenses in college football. And in order for them to become bowl eligible, they're going to need offensive balance to take the pressure off the offensive line and more importantly, off of Josh Rosen to make plays.
2: I am so down on this program. I I am not a fan of Jim Mora. Uh, Everyone that I have talked to, Joe, over the past couple of seasons, close to that program, says the same thing. They're not tough. They're not disciplined. There's a country club-type atmosphere. He gives too much leniency to his four- and five-star players. And, And listen, to Jim Mora's credit, he has taken the program to a higher level, particularly from a talent and a personnel standpoint. But I don't see the killer instinct. I, I don't. And, and and this program will be better as long as Josh is healthy. They'll have more balance on offense. I like the offensive line. So those running back, uh, those rushing numbers have to improve this season with Soso Jamabo and Nate Starks. It'll be a better program. But is it better than a seven-win type program? There's there's talent here that these guys should be competing for the Pac-12 South year in and year out. I just don't see it. And I think Jim Moore is going to have a tough time surviving into 2018.
1: I agree with you. I said that he was on the hot seat. He's one of my top 10 coaches to be on the hot seat for 2017. He's going the other way, Rich. When you look at what he's done there in uh, UCLA, I mean, in 2013, 10-3, 2014, 10-3, 15, in 2015, 8-5. And yes, Josh Rosen was hurt last year, so they limped to a 4-8 and mm-hmm. overall record. But like I said, they were a 500-ball club with him in the lineup. So, uh, again, I'm not sold on Josh Rosen either. Uh, I think when you look at his progression after his freshman season, a lot of people were handing him the Heisman after he threw for over 300 yards against Virginia's defense. Since that time, where's the signature win? Where is his ability to step up in big games and lead his team to victory? He Almost had an opportunity last year against Stanford. They let that game slip. He couldn't pull that game out in the second half. Uh, Again, I'm not sold on Josh Rosen. I know people are saying he's a top flight draft pick in next year's draft. I have question marks about him as well
2: it's an interesting debate because i i think if you look just in terms of arm talent if you watch film and i know you have of josh rosen he has first round arm talent and i think he'll be drafted in the first round because they're going to be a, a handful of nfl teams next april that say okay i question whether or not this kid has that that sort of it factor, and I do as well, because I haven't seen it so far in college. Sam Darnold across town has the it factor. I think he's someone who takes a team, puts it on his shoulders, elevates that team to a higher level. I haven't seen that from Josh Rosen, but there are going to be GMs, Joe, and you know this, who are going to look and say, we could turn this kid into a franchise quarterback because he has what we can't teach and that is that arm ability so we're going to see flashes this year in which he looks like an all-world type of a talent But I still go back to I I don't know if this kid has that sort of killer instinct. This is the kid who, as a freshman at UCLA, had a had like a a hot tub in his uh, in his dorm room. It's that's I'm not going to knock him for that, but it's sort of that mentality. I don't know if he's a gritty competitor. I don't know if he's a little too much of a of a prima donna. And, and, And if Josh Rosen can't elevate this team. I don't see who does at UCLA. I am just unimpressed by the overall direction of the program.
1: Remember the replacements, the movie with Gene Hackman, uh, Shane yeah. Falco? Yeah. You can't teach hard, yeah. right? And, and I agree with that. And that's I, my I assessment on Josh Rosen. That is my, <laughs> I was going to ask
2: you for a comp. I was going to ask you for an NFL comp. I love that you went with a Hollywood comp. Shane you up with I Falco. Love it, well,
1: if, uh, again, we've seen it time and time again with NFL GMs. They yeah. want to coach it up. I, I mean, we can... Take, yep, take, yep. Jim Druckenmiller at Virginia Tech. He was the RoboCop. He bench-pressed 400 mm-hmm. pounds. Logan Thomas was another one. He's got the size. He's got the arm. Didn't play well on the football Ryan field. Ryan Leaf. Ryan, Ryan Leaf? Yeah. And I hate to bring up Ryan Leaf because he did have off-the-field issues outside some other character flaws that we can mention. Mm-hmm. So the substance abuse was one. But I like to just leave it on guys that don't have off-the-field issues like that because they have yep. the prototypical skills. Now, can they take their team to the next level? Like yeah. a Tom Brady. A lot of people say, well, where did Tom Brady come from? If you watch Tom Brady in Michigan, he was 20-5 as a starting quarterback. A lot of people don't realize that, but he had heart. He elevated his team to the next level. Look at that game against Alabama in the bowl game. I mean, there were times that Tom Brady led his team in tough environments and won ball games in college. Not just the NFL and when you look at Josh Rosen I haven't seen that signature win Uh, again he's gonna have to show me a lot more in 2017 I don't like the supporting cast I do feel from a schedule perspective this team is bowl eligible six and six overall but in order to take it to the next level that running game needs to get going and I don't think they can do it so I picked them at six and six again I think they have taken a back seat now to USC and Clay Helton
2: How much fun or how much of a litmus test, I'm not saying it would qualify as a signature win, but with Josh Rosen coming back from the injury, how interesting is it going to be watching UCLA host Texas A&M in week one? A pair of coaches possibly coaching for their future at their respective schools. Rosen coming back. Two programs with a lot to prove. I know we're going to spend a lot of time in the coming weeks talking about Florida State, Alabama, which we should, but there are some openers which could really be telltale signs for what happens throughout the rest of the season. UCLA and a being one of them.
1: I'm not going to go off the beaten path too much with that matchup because I love that game last year with Trevor Knight. I picked uh, Texas A&M to win that matchup. They won in overtime. They dominated for about three and a half quarters. I will say this, though. You look at Texas A&M... They allow 212 rushing yards per game. They lose Deshaun Hall and Miles Garrett and Justin Evans out of that defense. But in the last seven minutes of the game, Rich, Josh Rosen and that offense went to the hurry up, which allowed them to take that game into overtime. So now I I, I think the mentality is you have to run on Texas A&M's defense. I think in that matchup they run up-tempo, expect Josh Rosen to throw for over 400 yards. I'm leaning towards UCLA in that game. Don't want to get too much on predictions here but yep. that was a game that yep. you're right it was an excellent excellent contrast in styles and it played out to a dynamic game in college station and expect fireworks week number one in the rose bowl so i agree with you hundred percent let's switch gears let's talk about mike mcintyre and the job that he did yep. in boulder last year 10 and 4 overall and a Pac-12 championship appearance against Washington. He loses his quarterback Lou Fowle, and he loses three starters out of that secondary, but there's a strong nucleus in place led by running back Philip Lindsay.
2: Yeah, the way I look at Colorado is, again, I I think the national mindset, Joe, would be, you know, Colorado had their fun last year. Now it's time to go back to three and four win seasons. That is not going to happen. Two things. Number one, the offense will not only be as good. I think this offense in Boulder could be better this season with Steven Montez at quarterback Lufau. You know, veteran, kind of kept things together. He was an okay player. That's not an NFL-caliber cal- player. But Montez, when he filled in as a freshman last year, played very well. 6'5", 225 pounds, mobile outside of the pocket. You mentioned Lindsey. I'll mention the fact that almost the entire offensive line is back. They have one of the deepest cores of wide receivers in the Pac-12. They're going to score points my concern for colorado having a similar season as last year is defense lost a lot of talent you mentioned the secondary i'll mention jim levitt defensively they're going to be a heck of a lot more vulnerable i think they give up another seven eight maybe ten points per game extra than they did last year that's why i think they're a seven to five eight and four type team but getting back to back bowl games now expecting to play in bowl games and have winning seasons that's a cultural shift that Mike McIntyre has has incited, and that's why this team has a bright future.
1: Yeah, he brought back respectability Uh, to that program that John Embry did not bring there, uh, the former player. They struggled under his tutelage. You mentioned the wide receiver core led by Shea Fields, Devon Ross that that combined for 14 receiving touchdowns. You mentioned the losses in the secondary. The one characteristic about Colorado's defense that was above and beyond everybody else's within the conference was third down conversion defense. They held opposing uh, offenses to 31% on third down conversions. Because of their ability to play bump and run coverage and man-to-man coverage which allowed that defensive staff to utilize blitz packages and create quarterback pressures and again when you don't have experience in the secondary like you did last year i agree with you i think that's where the concern is i picked this team at eight and four overall that that could be a stretch as well, but it does fall on Montez's arms and, more importantly, his shoulders because, again, he filled yeah. in admirably, especially in the big house against Michigan. If they can make a run, it is going to be due to his success in stretching teams vertically from an offensive perspective.
2: He's had a very good offseason. He's really taking more of a leadership role in that offense. One name I want to throw out The secondary is going to take a big hit. It's creating an opportunity, though, for Isaiah Oliver. He's going to be the next NFL player that comes out of that Colorado secondary. Isaiah Oliver, big hitter, tremendous cover skills as well.
1: Keep it where it is. When Rich and I come back, we'll be talking with former Syracuse standout and former NFL standout Moreland Greenwood. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
2: SportsGrid delivers sports news with a twist, including rumors, fantasy, and everything else fans love to read when they're supposed to be working. Come to SportsGrid.com for the other side of the story.
1: Rocking and rolling in the last segments of the show. Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, right here from Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. We're breaking down the Pac-12 South. We're gonna take a quick break. Anytime we get a former NFL standout, and more importantly, a college standout to join us in studio, we take a break. We're joined by former Syracuse linebacker and NFL linebacker for the Miami Dolphins and Houston Texans, Moreland Greenwood is with us. Moreland, how are you today?
6: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, Joe. Thanks for having me.
1: You're talking about a guy that started 48 straight games in Syracuse, a time when a physical defense was present within the Carrier Dome. Moreland, talk to me about how the physicality of the game in college has transitioned from the time that you played in the late 90s to what we see on the football field every Saturday in college football
6: yeah you know it's uh the game has definitely changed you know back then you know we had a a lot of the eye formation um now we now they've transitioned to the throwing game and uh that also changes the game a lot because now you got to look for different type of personnel you got to get linebackers that can run with those wide receivers normally you know because of the the running game and the fullback and the isolation play that uh you know we used to see a lot um we don't really see that much anymore and uh so it changed it changed the recruiting you you're not really see a lot of a lot of teams uh getting a lot of uh of fullbacks a lot of um middle linebackers that normally more stout they're they're more slender and speed and have more more agility and they have to be able to walk out and cover wide receivers because you know the game is changing changing that way
2: Hey, Marlon, It's uh, Rich Sermonello. I want to take a look at a big picture issue that's become a hot topic at the college level. I don't know if you've given a lot of thought to it, but uh, share how you feel about the possibility of paying athletes at the college level.
6: Oh wow. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, that's just not the issue now. It's been an issue when, <laughs> when, I was playing as well. You know, few of the, few uh, of the, uh, the the college athletes back then used to talk. But my personal thought is on that, um, I feel like, you know, coming out of high school, from, from you to be able to get a, a, a scholarship, right? You're, you're uh, coming out of high school, the school is paying for your education. They play, they, they're paying for you to um, have room and board. Um, they're also uh, giving you an opportunity where if you do well on the football field, you can get drafted and, and go play in the NFL. So they, they're providing that platform for you and they're giving you a chance to get an education where you can go and, and get your degree. If there are a lot of guys, my father always always told me, you know, Marlon, you know, don't come here, don't, I'm I'm from Jamaica, right? So <laughs> my father said, don't, don't, count the cows, just drink the milk. You know, A lot of guys have be like, hey, look how much the university they making. Marlon, see what you can get out of the university yeah. and make sure you get your education and make sure uh, um, you, you also play well enough so you can get the possibility to get drafted. And guess what? I got my degree in physical therapy and I got drafted by the Miami Dolphins. Started four years for the Dolphins. Uh, signed with uh, the Houston Texans as an unrestricted free agent in 2005. Started four years for them. And I started uh, three years in the UFL as well. So that had gave me an opportunity to uh, get my education and to uh, help my family when I got signed with the Houston Texans by fulfilling my child, which was a childhood dream of mine. So I I think when an athlete get the opportunity to go to a college, uh, there there is so, so many kids out there that are looking for that opportunity. They should just focus on that and and, and uh, be, be – uh, um, I'm thankful and try to capitalize on it the the very best way they can.
2: Moulin, when that you is look, fantastic advice.
1: When you look at the Pac-12, even from when you played back then, back then you know transition from the Pac-10 to the Pac-12 it was known as a finesse type of conference. I mean, was that the mindset in college football at the time that you played back in the day? Because I mean, you look at the former conference that you played in, in the big East, I mean, a physical mentality on the offense and defensive lines. And now we see a wide open of attack, Much like the Pac-12 and Pac-10 were running back in the day, I want to get your take about what you felt about the conference from the time that you played and and what we see now each and every Saturday uh, on the West Coast.
6: Well, you know, uh, as far as uh, um, playing uh, them in the the, uh, Pac-12, we're mostly, you know, like I said, at the time we were playing in the Big East, we played Virginia Tech, we played uh, uh, Miami, we played Boston College. West Virginia we go used to go down to Morgantown Amos zero was down there who was a really good 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 uh, um, player and physical running back you know to talk about the physicality of the game and uh, I, I think it's not just in college but also in the NFL you, you know you, you see the the game is, is going away from being that uh, i formation lead fullback um, you know paving the way to them having that spread offense where it's it's not as much, um, don't really have that much physicalness about it. It's kind of like you're out there playing seven on seven, basically. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and, you know, and, you know, the guy that, you know, enjoy to, to, um, watch a game, enjoy to see that good, good, uh, run attack and watching that physical defense coming up and, and, um, Stopping the run, and when you have an offense that can do that, that opens up the passing game. So that's uh, you know, I don't know why they're doing that. You know, I haven't really been been um, you know researching it and uh, seeing where they they actually made the changes. But uh, obviously, there's something going on, (laughs) right? Um, And and what's your take on it?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think Rich and I are both blue-collar guys in, in the sense of, you know, I think it, it starts with high school kids as well. I think the when you look at the West Coast teams for uh, the, the years in terms of the evolution, it was always where quarterbacks went to really exploit their skills and so you saw a lot of offensive playmakers go to west coast schools i mean uh, i mean that's the way i took it you look at the wide receivers that have come out of that conference i'll throw my favorite ucla wide receivers were jj stokes and danny farmer i mean that's my take on it and now you're seeing it across the nation rich what do you feel about it
2: yeah, I, I think from a Pac-12 perspective, uh, teams in the conference have looked at Oregon and said, you know, there, there is a cap, there's a ceiling to how far you can get. You can win the conference, you can grab a lot of attention, you can make a lot of headlines, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to get into that discussion with the SECs, with now the Big Tens, and where Ohio State is going, Michigan hopes to go, if you really want to be in that discussion you've got to be a more physical football team. You've got to be more complete, run it between the tackles, play solid defensively, not not necessarily to the Alabama level, but you have to make stops periodically. So I think the Stanford model is now taking shape more than the Oregon model is in the conference.
1: I agree with that. And the reason why I feel like as well has been because we haven't seen those teams get to the next level. Oregon made it to the national championship game in 2014, but was worn down by another blue-collar team in Ohio State. So I think when you look at those teams overall, they can get to this a certain level, but they don't have enough to get through and get the national championship. And I think you could even look at the Big Twelve as another conference that you could couple in with the Pac twelve in that type of mindset. And now I I really I I think when you look at the the Pac twelve overall they're ahead of the Big 12 in terms of understanding that they're behind the norm of the SEC and even the Big 10 from a physicality perspective. And they're trying to take shape and really catch on before it's too late. And the and the Big 12, in my opinion, right now hasn't changed their philosophy from
2: top to bottom. Excellent point, Joe. That is a great point. I didn't think about it. Big 12 is behind. Big 12 is the worst of the Power 5 conferences because of what you just touched on. There are not enough teams in the league who can be more of a complete entity, more of a complete program. Big 12 is behind. Pac-12 was smart enough to start hiring coaches that can initiate that kind of a change. That's an excellent point. I want to stick with a blue-collar mentality in a team in Utah that lost
1: four games last year by a total of 19 points. This possibly could be a sleeper in the conference. Uh, they have a quarterback in Troy Williams that only completed 53% of his passes. They do lose leading rusher Joe Williams uh, along with Garrett Bowles to that offensive line. But when I look at this team overall, Rich, again, their inability to stretch teams vertically consistently. They're a team like Stanford, where if they fall behind in ball games, they're challenged to play catch up.
2: Yeah, they're trying to change that for a lot. I'd love your take on it, Joe. Utah to me, their personality, their identity was always rooted in in the theme that we've been talking about throughout this morning which is that physical mindset that change in the physical mindset in the pac-12 utah did that about as well as anyone thanks to kyle whittingham and his staff whittingham has consistently taken those two and three star players and then boom four or five years later they're now nfl caliber players i love the mindset but now they're switching philosophies offensively. They brought in Troy Taylor from the FCS to coordinate the offense. They're going to try to spread things out, open things up. I don't know if they have the per, uh, personnel for that, but I don't know if it runs through the veins of Utah. I'd love your take. As to what you think about that offensive shift for Utah?
1: Yeah, I th- I think they're going to be challenged. To be honest with you, I picked them at seven and five overall. Uh, again, I don't think they build off of last year's nine win total. And I think when you look at their schedule, they have some very difficult games, not just at home but on the road. We'll touch that on that in next segment. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, and Morlin Greenwood live in studio thirty four. Stay with us, fantasy sports. Radio Network.
0: Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a sheet sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to RotoExperts.com and register for the 2017 Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code FREERADIO at checkout for a very special discount. Last
1: five minutes of the show, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and Moreland Greenwood in studio with us. We're breaking down the Pac-12 South. We talked Utah. I'm picking
2: Utah at 7-5. Rich, you're going to... Yeah, I, I hate to be so predictable and uh, and boring but I have them at seven and five as well we'll touch them last... five and, and over those five games yeah five those five games I bet four of them will be losses by less than a touchdown that's just the way Utah tends to play it
1: yeah they're a blue collar team and, and when you go to Salt Lake City it is not an easy place to play I will just say this about Todd Graham and Arizona State they had the worst passing defense last year in college football allowed 357 passing yards per game to opposing offenses the first four games of 2016 they rushed for over 150 yards they were 4-0 and the last eight they failed to rush for over 150 yards on the ground they were 1-7 I don't see it changing this year I have them at 5-7 and overall and I have Rich Rod with Arizona in the basement at 3-9 and
2: Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. It's going to be a rough, whereas Washington is the place to be in Pac-12 college football. Arizona is on the complete opposite spectrum. I think ASU has a better shot. They get the quarterback from Alabama, Blake Barnett. I think that'll be interesting to see what he could do for that offense. But it's criminal that ASU couldn't run the ball last season, Joe. You have two very good backs, Kalen Bellage, who will be playing in the NFL. Demario Richard will also be trying to play in the NFL. So there's enough talent for them to get 6-6, six and six, but if they don't, you could have both of those coaches, Rich Rod and Todd Graham, looking for jobs by December.
1: I put Todd Graham, I put Rich Rod on that list, along with Jim Mora Jr. I listed 10 coaches on the hot seat for 2016. Yeah. Three of them are in the Pac-12. We're talking live with former Syracuse standout Morlin Greenwood. Morlin, I know you're in town, and, and we thank you for joining us today. You had your football camp yesterday mentoring young athletes, Quickly, it was it was in Long Island. I mean, tell us a little bit about it.
6: Well, you know, tomorrow, uh, yesterday uh, I had the the third annual Mullen Green football camp at Freeport High School. You know, Freeport High School is where you know everything started for me. You know, Coach Rossellen, who's being inducted into the high school a high school Hall of Fame. Uh, he, you know, he got me involved in wrestling and got me involved in in football. And coming from Jamaica, you know, he. He did so much for me and opened up so many doors, got me into football. I was playing soccer, and that gave me an opportunity to get a scholarship, go up to Syracuse, and you know get my degree in physical therapy and get drafted by the Miami Dolphins and playing for the Houston Texans. Now, I say all of that because um, he didn't have to do what he, he did. So now I have the Marlon Greener Foundation. It started in uh, 2015 uh, leadership and mentorship program for at-risk youth and underprivileged kids, and we put on a free football camp for them and this is what well, the third one and we just i just want to offer the same thing to them let them know that they can accomplish anything they want to do in their life as long as they believe in themselves and they put in the work but first you have to know what you want to do in your heart and once you know what you want to do you have to figure out how you're going to do it and then the third part is putting in the work and football teaches you all of do things
1: I couldn't have said it uh, any better myself. The game of football, about what it represents, not just on the football field, but off the football field, Rich, is what it's all about. Uh, uh, This game teaches all of us so many principles of life that uh, we carry each and every day.
6: Exactly. Yeah.
2: I I think think Marlon said it beautifully, and I applaud him for the work that he's doing away from the field. It's outstanding.
1: Thank you. For Rich Sermonello. For Moreland Greenwood, this is Joe Lisi and the College Football Today. Stay with us. Next week, Rich and I will be breaking down the SEC live from Studio 34. Have a great weekend, everyone.